Heavenly Father, as we come before you now today, we just want to thank you for this opportunity to celebrate, to acknowledge your goodness upon our lives, to listen to good testimony. We do pray for all those who are actively involved in mission. As much as we're all called to mission, Lord, you do set aside those who have a special calling and the grace of God upon their lives to travel to other parts of the world. And we just remember those here today, whether that be in the Philippines, Thailand, Uganda, Lord, wherever they serve, right across the nations of the world. Lord, we just thank you that today we can celebrate and just honour those who serve. So, Lord, as we come to your word here this morning, we pray that you might speak into our hearts afresh. In Jesus' name. Amen. I wanted to read a passage of scripture out of Paul's second letter to Timothy. Normally we've been looking at the whole theme of the cross, but I was just thinking over this over the last few days and felt to share something a bit different on this special Sunday morning service. And as we were praying, I think with the dedication of Isaiah, mention was made of generations, generations of faith. Great-grandparents, grandparents, parents and children. And I was reminded of Paul's letter, the second letter that he wrote to Timothy, where he talked about this young man, Timothy, who had a grandmother who was called Lois and a mother who was called Eunice. And in their lives, there was the deposit of the grace of God and the work of God and the will of God. And how Paul said to Timothy, in the same way the deposit of grace was upon the life of your grandmother and your mother, it's also upon you. God has set you apart for the work of God. This ministry is cross-generational and very often in the Bible that's how it works. We have Abraham, we have Isaac and we have Jacob. God is interested in a deposit of his kingdom that touches the lives of families from one generation to the next. That's why we need to pray for generations of faith, don't we? That's why we need to continually pray for our loved ones, our families, our children, whether or not they're walking with the Lord or not. We must continually bring our families before the Lord because God has got something to say. And a work to accomplish. God has invested so much into families. Because it says in the book of Ephesians that there is the family of God who derives its name from Father God. Our Father who art in heaven. He is the head of the family of which we're part. Which means if he is our Father then that means we're all brothers and sisters, aren't we? And Jesus is our big brother. And we're a co-heir with him of all that the Father has promised and has lavished upon us. So Timothy was reminded that as the deposit of faith was in the life of his grandmother and his mother, Paul says, it's now in you. So therefore what you need to do is to stir up the gift of God which is in you. You've had your head prayed for. My hands have laid them upon you. So therefore stir up the gift of God in you. Because God has not given you a spirit of fear. 
but of power and of love and of sound mind. And I just feel this morning, the Lord just wants to remind us all that God has not given any one of us a spirit of timidity or fear. It's only the strength of God, the power of God, the love of God, and the discipline of God that he has deposited in our hearts. So therefore, there is nothing to fear. Yes, we face challenges of all sorts of different kinds. Yes, there are hurdles to overcome. Yes, there are barriers to break down. But the Lord is with us this morning. And he's not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. And for our little friend this morning, Isaiah, let us believe that the deposit of God from great-grandparents, grandparents, parents, that generational process of God's deposit of grace may flourish in his heart. And I believe it will. Second Timothy chapter 4 reading from verse 1 through to verse 5. Obviously, this is the second letter that Paul wrote to Timothy. Now, these are very often referred to as the pastoral epistles, along with Titus. Pastoral epistles seeking to define the ministry of Paul to Timothy around issues around church leadership, around character, the appointment of those who will serve within our midst, those who are called and set apart to be those whom the Lord raises up to be ministries within the body of Christ. But it's more than just pastoral information. It's actually the revelation of God's word to the church concerning the deposit that all of us have received. And if you know the Lord here this morning, God has deposited into your life an eternal weight of his glory. This treasure is hid in earthen vessels, in jars of clay. We have this incredible deposit, don't we? God's gifting upon our lives poured out. No wonder Paul says, fear is not what should control you, but faith. Sound doctrine is what should shape your life, not erroneous teaching. And this is what the Bible says. In verse 1 of chapter 4 of 2 Timothy. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus. Who is to judge the living and the dead. And by his appearing and his kingdom. Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke and exhort. With complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching. But having itching ears that they will be accumulating for themselves. Accumulating teachers to suit their own passions. And will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. As for you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, fulfil your ministry. Very often this passage of scripture is often quoted and preached from when a new minister is inducted in a church. And it's this charge that the minister receives both from the Lord as well as 
from the congregation, but it's wider than simply those who are called to serve in a specific role or ministry within a local church. I believe the call to preach the word of God lays upon the shoulders of us all. When we think of preaching the word, very often we think of the context of a Sunday morning or a Wednesday evening, a pulpit, a microphone, some notes and a Bible. And yes, that would fit in with the context of preaching the word. But actually all of us have the responsibility to communicate God's word. Whether that's behind the pulpit or in informal conversations at different times in life groups. Conversations that we have with one another. We're all called to be those who actually minister the word of God to one another. Would you agree this morning? All of us have that calling upon our lives to be not only recipients of God's word, but also custodians of God's word. So Paul is pulling no punches here. And this word, I charge you. It doesn't get more weightier than that in terms of an apostolic exhortation to this young man. It doesn't get more weightier and important than the words that Paul chooses to use. And he says to Timothy, you have to preach the word of God. And the reason for that is very simple. Paul kind of touches upon three different aspects as to why this exhortation is so central and foundational to the life of the church. He says, I charge you, number one, in the presence of God. So it's not Paul doing his own thing or stepping outside the arena of his own ministry. He recognised the presence of God and God's glorious work that he was accomplishing. In and through the life, not only of the church, but also that of Timothy himself. So Paul brings this word to Timothy in the context of the fact that God was present. So therefore the Lord himself was the one who was superintending, as it were, the ministry of God's word into the life of Timothy. Even though Paul was the one who brought that communication, albeit in written form, Two epistles were written to Timothy. It was actually the Lord himself who was the superintendent, as it were, overshadowing Timothy as he would receive the word of the Lord from the Apostle Paul, this apostolic father that Timothy had known and grew to love and serve. It would be the presence of God itself. But then Paul would also talk about the fact that In the person of God himself, he is described as the one who would judge both the living and the dead. Now this brings a very sober warning to us. That there's coming a time when all things will be judged by God. Every preacher will have to stand before the Lord and give an account of every word that has proceeded out of their mouths. No wonder James says, look, don't... Take upon the ministry or desire of being a teacher because those who do this actually carry a greater weight of responsibility. Don't presume to be preachers and teachers because if God calls you, fine, but you will have to give an account for every sermon you preach. So Paul is exhorting Timothy concerning, yes, the presence of God, but God himself in terms of being the judge 
of the living and the dead. In other words, no one gets off the hook. There's coming a day when all things will be laid bare. All things will be weighed in the presence of the Lord. All things will be judged. Now thanks be unto the Lord, our sins as believers have already been judged. That's good news, isn't it? The Lord has taken upon himself our sin and paid the price that we should have paid. So when it comes to the judgment of believers, we're not judged as to ascertain as to whether we get into heaven or not. Paul says in Corinthians that what he's judged is our works. The judgment seat of Christ is where God refines our works to see whether either they're of wood, hay and stubble or gold and precious stones and silver. Everything is going to be weighed in the balance. But for the believer, we can go to that place, that place of judgment, knowing that God has already paid the price for us and we have received that gift of salvation. But God says that he will come amongst us. The person of the Lord himself is the judge of both the living and the dead but there is a promise of the future the judgment is also part of the appearing of the lord and of his kingdom this is what we await isn't it the kingdom of god this is what we are expecting this is what we are waiting for and laboring towards The appearing of his kingdom. So on the basis of those three aspects of God's work. The presence of God. The promise of the appearing of his kingdom. And the judgment of all things. No wonder Paul carries such weight in his comments to say. Timothy you are to preach the word. But then there's a warning that's linked with this. And the reason for this, and Paul is absolutely exact, he says in verse 3, For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching. They, having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. So itching ears produces itching feet. That's why we need to be on our guard as to what we listen to. We need to be discerning. We need to be like the Bereans who in Acts 17 listened to Paul, but then went away and searched the scriptures to see whether what Paul had said was true. Now they didn't do it from a negative perspective. They weren't being critical or accusative or suspicious of Paul. They were simply doing something that Paul had told them to do anyway, which is to weigh what is being preached. Now, how often does that happen within the life of churches? How often do we weigh what we hear? Or do we simply take on board everything that is said, whether that be in person, in a church, or from the internet, YouTube, from wherever we find the ministry that we're listening to? We are to be a people who carry the spirit of discernment to weigh and to test everything that we hear and we're living in those days Paul wrote this hundreds of years ago but if it was true back then then it's also true 
today. For the time is coming. And we can confidently say that the time has come. We're seeing it within the church. Forget the world. Forget what's happening outside the doors of the local assemblies. Within the church there is this warning. There will be those who will depart from the truths of God's word. Things that we hold true and dear will be questioned. Worldly thinking will creep in. Liberal teaching will rob the church of the authority of scripture. And all of this and more. And it's happening in our generation. And we need to wake up and be very, very vigilant and discerning. Because of these things. It's people looking for preachers who tell them what they want to hear. In other words, what they're looking for is affirmation, not correction. Now we all love to be affirmed in what we believe. We all like listening to preachers who tell us things that we already agree with. And back up what we already hold fast. And that's good. But at the same time, we need correction, don't we? Because not all of us have got everything right. None of us have got perfect theology. We all need to grow and to mature in what we believe. So we all need to be affirmed in our ministries and in our callings. But also we need to be corrected. But these people that Paul warns Timothy about are those who only want to be affirmed. They want to find people who will only say what they want to hear. And itching ears produces itching feet. And that's why people very often drift from one church to the other. They're looking for something. They're looking to be affirmed. They're taken up by the latest idea. So God warns us here this morning and he brings a word of exhortation to us. About the dangers of the seasons in which we are living. Now that doesn't mean to say that God has called us to become spiritual policemen. We're not sitting there waiting to find something that we don't agree with and then we focus on that. I think we need to be people who are balanced. We are discerning. We feed ourselves, yes, upon the milk of God's word in order to grow. But also the meat of God's word in order to discern between good and evil. And Paul is very clear about this. The dangers are, is that people will depart from the word of the Lord. And the people that Paul refers to are not people outside the church. They are people within the church. So who can be deceived? Anybody. There's not a person in this room who couldn't be deceived. I could be deceived and you could be deceived if we don't hold fast to the truths of God's word. So it's very easy to look around and think, well, that person is deceived and that person is deceived. But actually all of us potentially, but for the grace of God, go I. And we all have to be on our guard that it can happen to anybody. So therefore, Paul then brings the word of the Lord. And he says four things to this young pastor of possibly the largest church in the Middle East. Four exhortations. He says, number one, be sober-minded. What is to be sober-minded? It means to be clear-thinking, balanced, not given over to rabbit-trail theology, 
Not being caught off guard and influenced by every wind of doctrine. To be sober-minded is that you think clearly. You think with discernment, you think with a sense of objectivity, but also you are looking, yes, for the affirmation of God's word to affirm what you believe, but also the correction of God's word to say, look, this is what you need to hold fast to, but these are the areas that you need to look at in terms of modification around your thinking. He says, be sober-minded. And we all need to be sober-minded. What does it mean to be sober-minded? Well, Romans chapter 12 says that we are transformed by the renewing of our minds. And then we prove and test what God's perfect will is. As our minds are renewed to God's word, how do we remain sober-minded? Well, you stay in fellowship and you listen to one another. You seek advice. You look to the Lord for guidance and help. To be sober-minded means that you're intact with your faculties. And you keep an open heart to all that God is saying. It says of these people who turn away from sound doctrine that they wander off into myths. They depart from listening to the truth. Now, it doesn't happen overnight. It's a gradual process. But to be caught off guard and to be enticed down the road of error and myths is something that is a very subtle process. To be caught in secondary issues. And very often the things that divide us are not the main issues. It's usually the secondary issues. It's the minors that tend to cause the difficulty, not the majors in terms of theology and doctrine. But we are to hold fast to the word of God and be on our guard against things that don't align themselves to sound doctrine. So he says, be sober-minded. Secondly, he says, endure suffering. And any role of ministry within the church, any calling that God gives us, if it is genuine from the Lord, will involve suffering. And that might come in different ways. It may not be somebody throwing a rock at you or throwing you into prison. For some people that is true and around the world there are more Christians in prison than at any other point in the history of the church. Persecuted, reviled, despised, rejected. Suffering for many can be simply wrestling with the issues of their own vulnerability and frailty. Overcoming those trials and those testings. Being people of faith and integrity when all hell is breaking loose around you. Sometimes to endure suffering means that you have to stand your ground and become unpopular. But sometimes standing for the truth means that you are unpopular. These false teachers and those who had drifted away from the gospel were those who were looking for popularity. They were looking for affirmation. They were looking for a crowd. They were looking for a fan club. God doesn't call us to form a fan club. He calls us to call out faith. And to be a people who walk in integrity and in truth. Endure suffering. Maybe this morning that's how you feel. Maybe at the moment you feel as though you are suffering in different ways. Well, the word of the Lord is, is that you are called to endure it. Now that's not 
becoming a doormat and allowing life to ride roughshod over you. It simply means that there is a purpose in the pain, that there is a process in the pain, that out of the battle there is a blessing that's going to come forward. Endure suffering. He then says, do the work of an evangelist. Now, Timothy, by far, was probably a pastor-teacher kind of ministry. Church leaders normally are. But Paul said to Timothy, don't forget the unbeliever. Don't forget the person outside your tribe. Don't forget the one who is on the street corner. Don't forget the one in need who doesn't come to your church. Do the work of an evangelist. Be always forward-thinking and forward-facing in your ministry. Don't get so bogged down with the issues within church life that you lose sight of the bigger calling to reach the world. Don't get so bogged down with the pedantics of local church ministry that you lose sight of a world that God dies for through his son. Do the work of an evangelist. And all of us are called as evangelists, aren't we? Not necessarily Ephesians 4.11 type ministries of apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors and teachers, those gift ministries that Paul talks about. But all of us have been called to be witnesses, aren't we? In whatever shape or form that is, in whatever context God sows us, whatever sphere of influence you have, God calls you to be salt and light in that situation. Do the work of an evangelist. And then really he wraps it up by simply saying, Fulfill your ministry. Do what God's called you to do. Every single person in this room today has got a ministry. The diversity of that ministry is clear. The equality of that ministry is that we all serve shoulder to shoulder. The unity of that ministry means that we're all under the headship of Jesus. But all of us have got a ministry. In whatever way, shape or form that is. It may not be to preach... It may be in a different area. It may not be the same as somebody else. That's why God warned us against comparing ourselves one with another. The only person you need to compare yourself is Jesus. If you try to compare yourself with others, then you're going to come unstuck. Because somebody else may not have your skill set. And you think, well, I've not got those skills, therefore I'm a lesser person. No, you are not. You are just different. And celebrate your distinctives. Learn and grow with one another, but actually be encouraged and confident in the uniqueness of God's presence and purpose over your life. Fulfill your ministry, Paul said to Timothy. Don't get bogged down with what folk are saying in the church. Timothy was a young guy and he was a bit intimidated by the fact that there were older people in his congregation. And Paul says, don't let... Older people look down upon you because you're a young guy. Be strong in your conviction. Treat people with honour and dignity. Don't get bent out of shape if you find your ear being bent by somebody who thinks they know best. Be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Be sober-minded. Stick to the Bible. Stop stressing the small stuff and get on and do the thing that God's called you to do. It's as simple as that. Fulfill your ministry. And that today is what's upon my heart. But Paul is saying, preach the word. There's never a time when there has been such a need for the word of God to be preached. 
for the church to grow, for people to be discipled, for the kingdom of God to come, for God's presence to be known, for his glory to be seen. And as we come around the word of God, yes, it's the spirit at work. Yes, it's the fellowship of the church. Yes, it's all of this and more. It's prayer, worship, teaching. All of this forms part of the culture around which we actually build our lives. Of which Jesus is at the heart. He's at the centre. So this is what Paul was reminding this young man of. To preach the word of God. He says, look, in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke and exhort with complete patience and teaching. It's a surgical picture here. It's the setting into place of a dislocated hip or a joint, something that's out of alignment that needs to be put back in its rightful position. That's really the picture that's being painted here. In season and out of season, when they love your sermons and when they don't like your sermons, when the thing is working and when the thing is not, when church is exciting and when church is boring, whatever the context, whatever the culture, be faithful to one thing, keep your eyes fixed upon the word of God over your life. You need patience and you need teaching. If you're going to serve God today, folks, you're going to have to learn a bit of patience. Because things won't always fit into place. The timing might be completely different to what you expect. But you are to be faithful in what God has called you to do. And be a person who is ready in season and out of season. And Paul talks about this. Prove, rebuke, exhort, challenge, correct, affirm and all of this and more. Amen? God's good. So that's the word of the Lord that I felt to bring to you here today and we just pray father that as we have received your word may we be and i believe we are a church that makes the word of god central to everything that we do god is against flippancy and erroneous ideas god is against rabbit trail thinking and doctrine that takes us off on some kind of silly pathway lord may we be a people who are firm in their belief and confident in their savior and Faith filled in all that they do. In the name of our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. Amen.